You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. get into this episode our premiere episode for season two of the mandalorian i just wanted to take a quick moment i forgot in this episode to mention what you just heard was our brand new theme uh composed by christy carew uh a new friend of the show uh i had hoped that that we could get her on the show talk a little bit about the process and, and sort of where the inspiration came from, but scheduling didn't work out. So, uh, so here it is. Like, I mean, that, that was it. You heard it. Um, Christy is amazing and she's actually doing a, a couple more of these for the other Thunderquack Star Wars shows for, for the saga continues as well as rebel cells, which you'll hear in the future. But, uh, but I just wanted to make sure right at the beginning here that I was giving the proper credit uh, uh, to Christy on on this amazing new theme song that we've got. Uh, so yeah, go go check her out uh, on on uh, Instagram. Uh, uh, Christy Carew Music. Uh, that's C H R I S T Y C A R E W M U S I C. Uh, Christy Carew Music. Uh, and and uh, yeah, uh, let let her know that that you heard the the new theme. And, uh, and that you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much, Christy, for this incredible new piece of music. And, uh, and here we go, into the episode. Hello there, and welcome back to Faster, More Intense for The Mandalorian Chapter 9, The Marshal. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen, and with me as always... No, wait. Not as always. I know I told you guys. I told you guys that Matt would be back this week, and he was supposed to be back this week. But he's still not set up and ready to record. Uh, so, with that in mind, I've got a, a, yet another special guest host uh, returning to Faster More Intense. We've got Joe Hogan sitting in for Matt. Hello, sir. Uh, sorry, listeners who might be disappointed Matt is not here. But uh, I love Matt to death. I hope he is doing well. Everything is going smoothly for him. And uh, I am excited to be back because, wow, I'm excited yeah. about what we're going to talk about. I uh, yeah, I mean, look, when 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 Matt texted me and he was like, "Hey, I'm bad news. I am not going to be able to make the first couple episodes." Um, I was I was like, "Oh man, I was I was I was quite crestfallen. I was I was disappointed. <laughs> I've been really really looking forward to getting back on the mic uh, with Matt, but." Um, but then I, I was like, you know what, like we've been doing so good with all these, uh, guest hosts over the summer that, uh, uh, it's really not that big of a deal to keep going. So, uh, there were, there were a couple of people at the top of my list and I tend to, to, to cover my bases and send out multiple messages at once and see who bites. <laughs> um, but you mean I, was, I wasn't your first choice. It, it, no, it's, it's not a matter of being first <laughs> choice. 
I uh, it's it, there are like four people who are always my first choice, but it's <laughs> but it it's often a matter of of hey, are you available for this day? Um, so I, I like to hedge my bets because I, I especially because I was like short on time to find a to find a guest host. All right, good episode. save. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing is that you responded like immediately. And you also are such a wonderful human being that you were like, Aww. I said the time and you were like, I'll figure it out. And that is uh, uh, so special and important and valuable to me. And I Aww. appreciate it so much. And also, I just love to talk Star Wars with you. So yeah, man. I, so it's awesome. And I'm really glad to have you on this episode because I know what a fan you are of the Mandalorians, the Fets, the Clone Troopers. Uh, all that stuff. So uh, if, if anybody's going to be on to talk about the legacy of Boba Fett's armor, I feel <laughs> like you are probably the guy. Oh, well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. So I normally we would talk about some news, but uh, with the the premiere of The Mandalorian having just happened, obviously there isn't any news. <laughs> there's mm. nothing else that, going on. That is the news. That is Mandalorian the news. premiere. Yeah. So, um, so there's really not anything to talk about in there. The only thing I will note is that they really hyped up Mando Mondays as like, this is going to be a thing. Mm. And they did the big premiere week Mando Monday um, with, with the big video with all the toys and, and merchandise and stuff. Um, and, it, and it was, it was great. I think they did a really good job of that. Um, can, do you mind if, if I actually speak to that for one second, yeah, sir? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I gotta say, I mean, I, I feel bad. Hopefully you don't feel like I'm hijacking things too badly, but you sang my praises a moment ago. I need to sing yours for a moment uh, because related to Mando Monday, uh, your Inktober, mm -hmm. 31 days of artwork that you put out, has been so fun to follow, and I'm so proud of you. Like, I'm so proud of how far you've come over the last few years. Like, your stuff is legitimately stuff that I look forward to seeing. And anytime I see it, I'm always just like, ooh, I can't wait for the next... Like, all 31 days were such a pleasure to to, to watch you post. And then you had a Mando Monday <laughs> yeah. ready to go. I was, I was already like, oh, man, I'm going to miss this. And then right away, Mando Monday. I was like, yes! Michael Cohen. Yeah, I, way to uh, go. I, I, I am, I'm quite happy about that. You know, normally, after an Inktober, after 31 days of drawing every day, um, I tend to fall off pretty hard. <laughs> it's, it's Dude. like a, because it's an endurance thing, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like doing one of those finished pieces uh, every single day and trying to keep that quality level up, and and I mean, like I. I would say personally that there are some dips and there are some high points. Um, I could have never known. I could have never, ever known. And I talked about this a little bit on Thunderquack uh, with Amanda. They, that Captain Rex would be my <laughs> most popular illustration. It's one of my favorites. It's, it really I, is. It really is. It came so good, man. I'm so happy with it. I'm, I'm really proud of it. Um, you should be. But when I sketched it out, I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. I like this. There will be some Rebels fans who will be into it. Like, I know, I know, like, like Jonah Marie is definitely going to dig it and, and that mm -hmm. you would like it. But, uh, but I didn't expect, like, just organically out of nowhere uh, on, on both Instagram and Twitter, everybody. It just, like, something about the way that I drew him, like, 
it it struck a chord i think um and and i it, it's so funny because i actually i've got them with the what is it it's the it's the dc 17 or the 15 it's the the long one the long rifle, right um that the clone troopers have and i i messed up on the perspective on that thing so bad <laughs> like it's just like like the handle is well, now facing i gotta go look at way. it to see. the Let's barrel see. is facing another way on the barrel there's another piece that's facing the wrong way like like the like it's just i just completely i completely borked the the perspective on it but nobody noticed like nobody cared because well, now they, everyone's they were, gonna well have i have no, I have no problem admitting it right <laughs> Because it's one of the things Let's that I have see. the hardest time with, um, but uh, but but despite that huge flaw that I see every time that I look at it, everybody else uh, uh, is really enamored with it. So um, so yeah, isn't it isn't it funny how it works out that way? Because oh, like so funny. any any time I do a set of of things in general and release them one by one, I'm always saying to myself yeah this one's gonna be really popular and yeah. oh you know this one is just oh, i gotta get it out of the way and it never works out that way it's always like nope this one that i spent way less time on yeah and didn't give nearly as much thought or time like it, it it's it's frustrating but it's also kind of like a fun endearing feeling i, I think it's at the just, same time it's a, it's a very humbling moment of like sure. of of uh, w- when you're an artist and you practice and you and you develop your skill over years decades mm. uh, in our cases uh and um and you know where your where your pitfalls are and what you're good at and and so you think in your head i know i'm gonna knock this one out of the park i know i'm gonna rock this i'm gonna this one's gonna be great this one's gonna be awesome i uh, and, but then there's other things that you're like, oh, I'm not good at. Like for me, I am not good at drawing mechanical stuff. I'm not good at perspective. I'm. It's just like like organic stuff is is my wheelhouse. I like to draw cartoons, right? So like, mm. I, but with Star Wars, there's this there's this element where like I can't not put the detail into a lightsaber or sure. armor or whatever. Because if you don't like the, th- one of the things that drives me nuts the most in star Wars art is when you're reading through something. And I, I'll, I'll always go back to the, um, the, I think it's the cover of super empire strikes back. The, the, the video game, the, the SNES game. Mm-hmm. And on that cover, Luke is holding, he's in his, uh, uh his Hoth, x-wing gear like like not like his snowspeeder gear right so like the puffy vest mm-hmm. uh flight suit and everything not his regular flight suit um and then he's holding his return of the jedi lightsaber but there's a blue blade coming out of it and it's like you like like at at, at like i guess at one point he uses his lightsaber when he when he slices open the ad at but it's not really like i don't really associate that outfit with that with a lightsaber as much mm-hmm. as I would with, say, the Bespin outfit from the end, or or his Dagobah outfit from the middle of the sure, movie, even. Sure. Um, but and then and then on top of that, it's the wrong lightsaber, and on top of that, it's the wrong color coming out of that lightsaber. So it's like <laughs> you're you're wrong on so many fronts, and stuff like that just always drives me nuts. So I'm always really careful when I'm drawing Star mm-hmm. Wars stuff to like to nail that stuff, to try and nail that. Well, stuff. You're referencing, which is yeah. important. 
That's that's um, that's something that we all have to do in general. Yeah, you're... but it's just it's so not one of my one of my strong points is like nailing those mechanical things. So I have to take a really long time with it. And that was one of those ones where I felt like I was Okay, we had a little bit of a technical hiccup there and we actually lost some audio, but that's okay. <laughs> we're coming back. I yeah, um we were talking about about uh my Inktober stuff. Um and uh yeah, it's it, it it's it's been a really cool experience to do it all. Um I don't I when I when I set out to do it, there there was a lot of stuff that uh, that 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 I thought was gonna. I I started doing it because like I decided to do the the Star Wars all month because my Raylo stuff has been really popular, um, so that was kind of like the main motivator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that like the Ray and Ben Solo stuff would be the most popular, but but as I said, that it was that uh, that that Captain Rex. Uh, <laughs> Captain Rex and the Ahsoka one was pretty popular. Who else was popular? Ahsoka was one of my favorites, I think, because I just I really like the way you drew her robes. I don't know what it is; it's just pleasing to look at. Um, that's good because that's what I, I was going for. Like a very, uh, 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 I don't know, like a like a peaceful sort of moment yeah. with that character. Um, the Mando one did all right. Uh, uh, Ezra... I liked your your use of the yellow lightsaber with Luke. I thought that was a little uh, underrated. I, I don't know how well it did, but I remember yeah, seeing w- that and be like, "Nice." <laughs> it wasn't popular at all. I, That's so I, weird. I think because I think because it wasn't as recognizable because it's okay. something from the comics, right? Sure. Um, and it's from the comics that are like currently happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I... and the toys too. The throwback. That's true. Yellow lightsaber and, and that, was kinda, that was kind of that was kind of the thing that I was like, oh, this is this is kind of like a double, mm-hmm. um, like it's like a double reference. Um, but yeah, I, but yeah, it was good. It was great. Um, and I, I, it's it, it, I, I've gone up. I'm almost at 250 followers on Instagram. I think I'm one hey, away. Right. I'm one away, which is not. I mean, 250 is not really a lot to boast about. But dude, but, it uh, is. It's for everybody. Starts somewhere. And yeah. 250 is still a lot of people when you think about it. Like, don't worry about comparing yourself to like, oh, you know, it's more than you had before. Yeah, for sure. And the number's going up. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, for sure. And so. you deserve it. You should be very proud of the work that you did. You should be proud that other people are recognizing that. And I, I'm, I'm excited for you, man. This is really cool. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, uh, calling me out on it on the podcast so that, so that I'm forced to talk about it. Well, now, I'm sure I, you, you know, wouldn't be tooting your own horn without it, so no. I figured uh, let me uh, give you a, give you a little I, push. No, I never self-promote. That never happens. <laughs> I, uh, speaking of self-promotion, I'll just note that, uh, and, and I'll announce it here, uh, that, that actually over the course of doing uh, the these podcasts, uh, uh, Star Wars Inktober illustrations. I uh, a guy got in contact with me. I, I man, I forgot their name again. I <laughs> twice because it's because it's, it's one of those like it's like a it's like a screen name. Uh, sure, Day, the username. Yeah, yeah. Daydreamer Fantasy uh, on Instagram. Uh, they they produce a whole bunch of pins, Star Wars stuff, Disney stuff, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, like all just all sorts of stuff. Um, Avatar. The Last Airbender, um, not the other Avatar. Uh, 
and uh, they approach me and 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 want to do uh, want to do some some pins from my illustrations. And the first one that we're going to be doing is actually my Padme one, which which I I was I'm super happy with. I'm super proud of. It's one of my favorites. But I uh, but it did not. It wasn't getting any traction, and and it pissed me off because underrated, yeah. Because not because I like the illustration, but because like I find that like Padme never gets attention, right? So I, I enlisted a few of my a few of my friends online to uh, to help me boost that one. I wonder why uh, that is. <laughs> why Padme doesn't get the attention? Yeah, because Padme is is it's she's so a funny core character, be- right? Like yeah, I, she's she's a strong yeah. Like I, I don't know, like I don't I don't know why people don't like because she's got this you know she's got a career going. She will take control of a situation, but. I think she's a great character. I mean, the only thing I can really think of is that, you know, the chemistry between her and Hayden Christensen were not great, but as a character, I thought she was really cool. Yeah. Um, I th- I think she gets sidelined in in the third one in Revenge of the Sith, and she's sure. she's not a main character in that movie. She's a supporting mm-hmm. character, and I I think that that goes a long way. I think she's also so different from the Phantom Menace to Attack of the Clones. Um, and and like it's really not to me uh she doesn't kind of come into that that leia persona until Mm. the third act of both movies so in both movies like we're spending the majority of time with her just kind of (laughs) talking like having a lot of arguments um and then and then in the last act we get to see her you know be a be a badass Um, yeah that's fair but but obviously being a Clone Wars fan uh, like you are like I know you know she's she as I posted when, when I when I posted the artist like she's she keeps up with the boys as mm-hmm. as a matter of fact the boys have to keep up with her I think <laughs> most of the time you know aggressive negotiations and whatnot even Captain Typho I'd be more worried about her doing something than him yeah exactly I I so yeah like I, I I'm I'm happy that it's the first one that's gonna get produced that's gonna get turned into that's a exciting man um. Now, I, I think you said before, is this your first merch ever? Uh, other than like doing my own prints for, for small shows and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, this is this will be like the first piece of like sort of physical uh, merchandise. That, That's exciting, uh, man. Good for you, man. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah it's really exciting. So I'll, I'll let everybody know on social media and, and obviously on the podcast when when uh, the, the pre-orders for that go up. But uh, uh, keep your eyes peeled. Well, I, he says he wants to do ten of these with me. So oh, all right. Uh, so there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of opportunity, a lot of characters. Hopefully. Ten from these or ten? Are you just gonna like maybe do a handful of these and then do some new ones too? I I think I I mentioned like hey take a look through the ones that I've already done and if there's mm-hmm. anything there that you wanna because I because there's a bunch of work that I have to do. It can't it's not like one to one. It won't be exactly that. I'll have to mm-hmm. put it in and and do it because they're black and white. So I have to do them color and I'll have to do them a little bit more cell shaded style. Um, okay. Uh, rather, because I use the like, Copic markers, right? So it's the the it's a little bit more of like a watercolor gradient vibe to mm-hmm. it. Um, so I have to go a little bit more of like the animated cell shaded vibe with it. I but I but I'm hoping that I can use some of the ones that I've already done because there's a couple others that I'm really happy with that uh, that I think could work. But cool, uh, but I'm sure we're gonna do some original ones as well because I'm sure that he'll nice. have some specific requests. Um, like a, a lot of what I did over Inktober were, uh, were, um, 
either like reimaginings or different outfits or like sort of uh the like like with the luke skywalker one he's more inspired by the by the newer run of of uh the the marvel comics so it's not the iconic looks and i think that he'll probably for pins want more of like the iconic stuff i like Um, that the further in you got you kind of got more adventurous with that stuff because i mean i know you had already you have already done like your your Raylo stuff where they're yeah. in their alternate costumes and stuff like that but like i was excited to see uh you know clone sheave that was pretty neat yeah uh, i was excited to see ezra as a ronin that was a really exciting one um i love your your jedi finn how it gave me like Quinlan Voss armor vibes, like that was awesome. It's so like, funny, I, yeah. I I was not like, I wasn't thinking Quinlan Voss at all, right? Like I mm-hmm. did, I did, um, because John Boyega talked about like uh, uh, growing his hair out for Rise of Skywalker and how mm-hmm. like he went to them and said like like I, this is I'm doing this. <laughs> this isn't negotiable. Like like because. Disney, I think, on the last two movies was like, oh, well, like you got to have like the close cut, like, mm-hmm. like that's because he was a stormtrooper, right? Sure. And because Last Jedi is so soon after, so it's like he was kind of he was kind of stuck with that look, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but he wanted something that represented, I think, real uh, uh, black hair, right? Like African mm-hmm. hair, a little bit better. So I took that idea and was like extrapolating it with my stuff that I've been doing over the summer with the idea of like, now that Finn's not a stormtrooper anymore and he's growing into this Jedi thing, he's going to keep growing out his hair. Right. Mm-hmm. Because when you think of the Jedi, you think of like Obi-Wan with his attack of the clones hair, you think of <laughs> mullet of power. Sure. Yeah. Like they all get the mullets, right? Like it's well, a, maybe it's not a... Mace Windu, but everybody <laughs> else. Mace, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was like, I was like, yeah, like I'm going to, I I would, envision him like continuing to grow his hair so i did an illustration a while ago of of like a jedi finn where he's he's got the yellow jacket that's in the concept art um but i didn't want to do that again i didn't want to draw the same thing that i've drawn Mm. again right so i there was another illustrator and i wish that i could remember who it was it was something that i saw on twitter and then then it was gone right like it's sort of you see stuff yeah you see it oh cool and then you lose it yeah um but uh, he had drawn drawn Finn as a Jedi with uh, with some of the stormtrooper armor sort of modified, right? And oh, I was cool. like, oh, that's a cool idea. And then so I kind of took that and extrapolated it a little bit further, and and uh, was inspired by that. Um, and then and then you're not the only person who's who's said like, oh, there's like a real Quinlan Voss vibe with it. And now that, like, you <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Out, like, if I hope that's not like armor. an annoying thing. No, not at all. Because because Quinlan Voss is a great character, right? But right. it just it wasn't in my head when I did it. But mm-hmm. it when when people draw those connections, it's always nice because it's like, oh, okay, cool. So I am like firmly within universe. Like I'm yeah, not. It, I haven't it, pushed it too far, right? Absolutely. Like, it absolutely feels like, yeah. oh, yeah, this makes total sense. That's awesome. Because it's like, I did the Vader one. Like, I got to Darth Vader, which was the second to last day of of, of Inktober uh, the, on the 30th. And I uh, was doing the sketch and started it and was like, oh, I don't want to draw his helmet. I don't <laughs> want to draw Vader's helmet. And so I was like, you know what? Like, well, maybe I'll do him unmasked. So at first I was like, I'll do like, like, uh, like wrinkly prune Vader. And then I was like, you know, what would be even better. Cause I've done so many of these reimagined or like continued story type of illustrations. I was like, what if 
what if Anakin won, right? What if Anakin mm-hmm. beat Obi-Wan for whatever reason? And he didn't, he, he didn't become a machine. He didn't get burnt. He didn't lose his arm, his other arm and his legs, right? He, so he's at like almost his full power level where he was at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, but he's a full dark side user now. Uh, and so I, I didn't really say it in the, in the post or anything. Cause I was kind of brief on the post, but um, he's kind of my version of like an emperor Vader where mm. like, like I envision that, that Anakin as like, he, like that's a few years later and he's actually, uh, he's, he's discovered that, that his children survived. He's found both of them and he's killed the emperor. Like he's like, he's, he's, he's taken over and now he's <laughs> the emperor of the galaxy and he's raising Luke and Leia and they're going to be little dark side babies. And, uh, <laughs> And so I like he's got the lightning and he's he's uh, but I still wanted to keep the Vader like sort of the silhouette. So he's still mm-hmm. got the cape. He's still got the armor like the like the like the that sort of shoulder chest piece um, and, and just kind of sort of keeping the the overall silhouette of Vader, but not the mechanical part of it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I like to have fun with with, with it's it, it's it's easy to get bogged down and just drawing it as it is. Yeah. I know for your stuff, you, you are very, uh, I, I, I don't know. Like, like you're so good at taking stuff that hasn't been done in like that Gendy Tartakovsky or animated style and bringing <laughs> it in there. Oh, um, thank you, man. And like, especially taking a lot of the clone wars characters and then sort of like reverse engineering them into that Gendy style. Um, uh, but you always manage to maintain like perfect, like not screen accuracy, but you know what I mean, right? Like it's like like you nail all of the details so that each clone is recognizable as the specific clone. Whereas for me, it's like I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could, <laughs> if I could spend that that much time, you know, differentiating differentiating between Gree and Bly and Cody and like it's like. <laughs> I tend to just go like, you know what? I'm just going to make up my own. Cause then if I do, if I make a mistake, I can just say, no, nah, he's different. His, his helmet's <laughs> yeah. different from everybody else's. Uh, Commander fly. Yeah. Instead of fly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but cool. I let, would you want to get into it? Let's get into the actual episode. Yeah, please. I'm sure by now people are like, guys, sh- shut up. I came here for a Mandalorian, not, yeah. not a uh, nerdy art things. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, the Mandalorian, Chapter 9, The Marshal, uh, directed by John Favreau and written by John Favreau. This is actually funny, nine chapters in, this is the first one that John Favreau directed himself. Yeah. Um, but uh, he did. He wrote uh, a few episodes in the first season, uh, namely the, the, I think, the premiere and the finale. Um, Actually, I think he wrote the first three episodes and the finale. But uh, interesting. Uh, let's get let's get right into it. Uh, do, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Uh, yeah, I'll start. That's okay, cool. Uh, we pick up our story with the Mandalorian and the child continuing their quest to return the curious creature to its people. Din's plan is to track down other Mandalorians to chart a course through their network of coverts. This brings them to a city shrouded in darkness its buildings covered in graffiti, and the shadows occupied by pairs of red glowing eyes. Yeah, we get, like, right into it, right? Like, there's no... This show has zero chill. Zero yeah. chill. It's just, like, <laughs> it's just like, 
we don't even know the name of this planet. It had, mm. like I couldn't find it in the databank or anything on StarWars.com. I didn't look at Wikipedia because I don't trust it sometimes. But I because people will go like, oh, it's actually this planet from this expanded. No, it's not. <laughs> I, so new location and and this graffiti is awesome. There's it was cool to see graffiti, cool right? Like, yeah. isn't it felt a little non-stars, but then at the same time, it's like, oh yeah, but but Sabine always did yeah. graffiti, so it's cool to see it like making its way to the live action stuff. Yeah, and there was some very like Sabine esque uh, illustrations in there of like stormtroopers with their eyes crossed out and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, but it just shows like this this uh, this is a city sort of on hard times. It's not. Uh, this isn't a safe place. <laughs> um, and I think that's the most important thing to note at the beginning here uh, is that uh, Din is on on this path, but um, just because the child is with him doesn't mean that they're safe. Right? Sure. Like they're, they're very much still in danger uh, and it's going to be a dangerous path going forward. Here, I'll, I'll continue. Uh, Din brings the child to an underground fighting ring to meet with his contact, Gore Koresh. No sooner do their negotiations begin than Gore double-crosses the Mando. A fight ensues, and although Din is able to easily gain the upper hand, Koresh manages to slip away in the chaos. Uh, great fight. We get to see some Gamorians, although they're looking a uh. little—they're looking a little bit. Uh, uh, I, you know what? I Jabba's Gamorians. I'm gonna say. They're a little on the rotund side. They're yeah, little, well, they're, they're lazier, living, I'm sure. Yeah, living in the lap of luxury. It's like, sure. we, we, it's Jabba the Hutt. It's, a, it's just a bunch of bounty hunters and stuff. You're not really doing a lot of guarding, right? You're just kind of enforcers. You're just, they're, they're more bouncers than anything. These <laughs> right. two are pit fighters. So, sure. Uh, they're, they were a little bit more lean looking, but I, it, in reality, it's just that they were doing this awesome fight scene. And you needed them to have full mobility, right? They, it was jarring, though. Like, I, it did feel kind of like, oh, where's the rest of them? But yeah, I, I agree that the, the functionality and, like, the practicality of having them designed that way, it made sense. It wasn't, you know, once you kind of realize, oh, okay, yeah, these guys are obviously pit fighters. Yeah. It was just easier to roll if, with. If, if, uh, for me, I would have been like, we need to, we need to kind of slim down those masks a little bit. Like, let's get, mm. let's, let's give, give them a little bit more of a gaunt look, um, in order to match the bodies. Cause we expect a okay. to, to have that big body. But, but I mean like, Hey, look, it's, this is all made up and in space. You guys, <laughs> right. uh, uh, if this is, if this is what you're, it's like the, uh, the George Lucas quote, um, they were talking about uh, there's a there's a moment in Attack of the Clones where Obi Wan the the Camino is is curved right like it's like it's sort of a ring city right and so the the geography of it is really easy to figure out of like oh if he's going to the outside of the curve it's outside to the platform if he goes inside the curve it's further into the city right. And there's a scene where, like he, like they intentionally flip it because of the motion of the camera, and somebody said something to George of like, but that's like geographically that's wrong. He's going into the city and not out to the platform, and George is like, look, if that's what people are seeing, then we're like they're looking at the wrong thing. Like we've we've <laughs> we've messed up. Like it's 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 broken because. Because like they're supposed to be paying attention to the story, not to which way is into the city and out of it. So it's very much like like look if if the thing that takes you out of the Mandalorian is that the Gamorreans are too skinny, <laughs> I, then you know I maybe Star Wars just isn't for you. Maybe yeah, it's the battle's just, already lost. Yeah. Um, 
Because for me, it's like, yeah, when he when the one comes, does like the flying leap out of the ring and Mando just steps aside because he's like, <laughs> you're a pit fighter. I'm the Mandalorian. Like, I'm a real warrior. You're not going to get me with <laughs> with your wrestling moves. Um, I thought that was great. It was so and he just like he hands these thugs their butts on a on a platter when they're like punching him and like, one goes to punch him in the head and he just headbutts his hand with the helmet and you hear the ding and it's just like what is his um gauntlet weapon called again the the flying automated like pin missiles uh the whistling birds whistling birds okay yeah, yeah it was cool yeah. to see that again and not only was it just that like they had the gag with baby yoda which i mean yeah. we saw that in the trailer but yeah it really it really landed for me it, it works so well because it's not... Here's the thing. It's not just a gag, right? Mm. It's not Jar Jar stepping in Pudu, which is right. just a gag. But it's like when when he, the whistling birds prep and Baby Yoda sees it and he immediately like he hits the button himself and hides inside. Mm. It's like it tells us, oh, this isn't their first stop. We're yeah, not, it's, we're it not serves the story. Right? For sure. <clears throat> that that they've been they've been trying to track down the Mandalorians for a minute and they're they're familiar now, right? Like mm-hmm. there there's no more of the like getting to know one another. There's no more of like the like the questioning. If the Mandalorian tells that baby to stay, he stays. Mm-hmm. Right? If he allows him to walk around and do his own thing, it's like they like there's a trust, there's a bond there. Mm-hmm. Um then they like they've evolved from the first season. And it's it's so great because no one ever says it. Nothing ever specifically happens to indicate that. It's just the it's just the the subtextual storytelling throughout it. And because nobody talks in this series, right? Mm. Everybody's got masks. Like not not a lot of characters do a lot of talking. Um so much of the story is told in symbolism and uh and subtext and and I personally I think that's what makes it so strong. That's what makes it such a great series for me. It's very anime in that way of like <laughs> There's a lot of the like, uh, like whenever I think of anime, I think of like like long establishing shots and like the you know like the cicadas like there's like that's such an anime trope of like we're gonna show you like six establishing shots as you listen to cicadas in the distance. <laughs> such as like uh, Evangelion is is really well known for it like early in the season early in the series, um, and and Mandalorian it does that stuff like it it and I think that that's. I think a lot of that's Dave. I think a lot of that's Dave Filoni coming from his uh, his his anime inspired roots and uh, mm. working on Avatar and all that. Um, but it's, like the show is given room to actually tell the story instead of having to rush from one moment to the next, like movies that will remain unnamed in this conversation. <laughs> I okay, you want to move on to the next the next uh, chunk? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, Mando pursues. Handily capturing the gangster and stringing him up, stringing him up on a nearby light pole. The Abyssin, Abyssin? Is that how you pronounce that? The Abyssin. I think so. I'm pretty sure. Okay. The Abyssin, hanging upside down, begs for his life in exchange for the information. Koresh hands it over. There's a Mandalorian on Tatooine, in the small outpost of Mos Pelga. Mando leaves Koresh dangling as he shoots out the light. From the shadows, dozens of red eyes appear. As Gore Koresh screams, I uh, 
Yeah. Hey, so I'll, I'll just note, I wrote this recap myself because there is not an official one uh, yet. Uh, and uh, I, so we, we needed a recap. So uh, if I am wrong about him being an Abyssin, I'm pretty sure he's an Abyssin. I didn't look it up. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's how you spell it and say it. But uh, uh, this scene is so good. I love it. How he's just like, and th- uh, it's, uh, John Leguizamo is the voice. Of Gorkoresh. I knew that voice was from... At first I thought it was yeah. Favreau, but I was like, no, I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't no, know. No, it's John Leguizamo, and I wow. think the reason why it's familiar, but he gets away with it without you knowing, is because um, is because I think they actually pitch him down. I think they I think okay. they did some 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 post on it, um, okay. and 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 sort of hid him a little bit. Either that or John Leguizamo is secretly an incredible voice actor and should be. <laughs> um, I mean, I didn't even because I feel like when he's speaking naturally, and at least in most of the roles that I've heard him in, he's got kind of like that Brooklyn Bronx accent going on and yeah, i just didn't yeah. hear it like yeah, i didn't pick he, up on he's that definitely at all got like that he's definitely got like that latino sort sure. of cadence right like I, I when i think of john leguizamo i think of like the, like like those really hard consonants and like the mm. stops in the words right um like when i think of john leguizamo i think of the super mario brothers movie yeah me too it's hard and not he, to like <laughs> it is it is the seminal john no he's such a good actor he's done so many great things yeah i think I think John Leguizamo is actually one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood because he did movies like The Pest, mm-hmm. where it's like I, I think that he kind of got, he I think he got pigeonholed a little bit as like a Paulie Shore type of actor, but he's not right. Like, um, also I love him in in the uh, the the John Wick movies. Yeah, he's you know, good he's in like, John he's, Wick. He's he's, he's like kind of just barely in them, but he's in them enough that you're like ah John Leguizamo. Uh, and and I really love him in Chef, uh, with which is John Favreau, right? So that's the connection. That's why he's in this. Obviously, I liked him in um, was it Land of the Dead, the Romero one, where he's yeah, he's yeah, he's yeah. like the sort of villain in that film. I thought he was awesome in that movie, even yeah. though it's a campy zombie movie. For like sure. he's yeah, he's yeah. great in that movie. He's the perfect kind of guy for something like that, right? And yeah. that's I think that's one of the things that makes him perfect for Star Wars. And mm. one of my favorite things about about these actors who are able to 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 do the voiceover work, um, and and that are like such standouts, is that like just because he's Gore Koresh doesn't mean that we're not going to see John Leguizamo again. Sure. Somewhere in Star Wars, because like Clancy Brown plays, I think at this count four <laughs> characters in Star That's Wars. That's right. So, uh, you know, like like uh, and and Sam Witwer is multiple characters, and like like there are a few actors that like they play up. I mean, let's not even talk about James Arnold Taylor, who is <laughs> who? every Who's third that? character. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I so I I hope that we get to see him again because I think that he's kind of got the perfect. He's got the perfect like this character is in such a small amount of this episode, but he is instantly like iconic, I think, as like a Star Wars gangster. Um, but I don't think we're going to see Gore Koresh again because I'm pretty sure. That yeah, safe by those eyeballs. Uh, well, it was cool to get this kind of cold opening that was in a way very similar to the first cold opening we got in the fir- yeah. very first episode where it's like already in the, already in the middle of something going on, but they give you enough info to to figure out. Okay, here's what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's definitely like it's it's like a great Indiana Jones 
Yeah. Cold open, oh, right? that's a that's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's like an Indiana Jones opening. Yeah. Um, here, let, let's continue. Let's get to Tatooine. Sure. Sure. Uh, arriving at Tatooine, Mando sets down in a familiar hangar where we're greeted by I don't know how to say this character's name because no one ever says it out says it out loud in the yeah. series. It's 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 Pelly, I think. I Pelly, think it's okay. Pelly. So we're gonna go with Pelly. Uh, Pelly and her pit droid crew. Unlike the last time, though, Din has no issue with the droids working on his ship. Pelly is delighted to see the child and offers to look after it while Din heads, heads off on another adventure. Din inquires as to the location of Mos Pelgo, as it doesn't appear on any of the maps, which is a great reference to, uh, to <laughs> Attack of the Clones. Uh, so is so under the radar. It's perfect. Uh, Pelly sh- uh, shows, I will say Pelly, but it's Pelly, shows him the location or at least where it used to be. Mando is going to need to travel there by speeder bike. Um, and we get the great cameo from R5. I was so excited about that. Like, it, what, a, what a dumb thing to be excited about, it's but I was so, so excited about it. Uh, it's you know it, it, it's like solo where uh, when when they reference uh, Tarascazi in sure. solo mm-hmm. and it's like okay this is like this is Star Wars love mm-hmm. right like th- this is what real love feels like because I I it's one thing to reference something like I don't know let's say Yoda lifting an X wing out of the swamp right. I think that's pretty easy. I think that that's pretty surface of like Star Wars iconic moments. It's another thing to reference R5 and to make sure like, hey, guys, look at that carbon scoring. (laughs) Right. Knowing that knowing that in our heads, we're all going to go. Look at that carbon scoring. We're not going to go like, oh, that's R5. We're all going like, oh, I see it. I see it. It's the, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme, right? The the Of him pointing at the screen. Yeah, the pointing. At the uh, it, that, this whole episode was that. Like every yeah. five minutes, it was like, oh. oh. Man. Um, and it just shows that, that like John and Dave and everybody else involved with The Mandalorian, like they just they get it and they care and they're us right it's uh it's it's so refreshing uh to to have us have star wars uh again that that is that feels although we had clone wars like people forget we we did have clone wars at the beginning sure. of this year um but it's okay that you forget it's been a hell of a year uh yeah it's, <laughs> 2020 has been a hell of a decade yeah okay let's keep going let's keep going we're not sure. even to the good stuff yet we're oh, just at man. like the fun we're not even at the like ooh. Okay, keep going. Well, I will say one one yeah. quick thing I want to say. The the love for R- R5-D4, for me at least, kind of started with, I don't know if you've ever read uh, the, the Star Wars Tales vignette with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Skippy the Jedi droid. I, lo- I know it was never canon, but in my heart it always was. So just seeing R5 back, yeah. it's like, oh, I he, love it. He, he had his so own happy. mission. He did. He He made the ultimate sacrifice. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Uh, Upon arriving in Mos Pelgo, the Mandalorian is given a less than warm welcome. Something has these folks wary of the new arrival. He makes his way to the local cantina and inquires about the Mandalorian. The barkeep tells him that he's never seen a Mandalorian around these parts. But if he's looking for someone with armor like Din's, he should ask the marshal. Right on cue, the marshal arrives standing formidably in the doorway, bearing a striking resemblance to a familiar bounty hunter. 
Uh, yeah, and man, this is our introduction to Cobb Vanth. Although those who have read the Aftermath trilogy are going to be a little bit familiar with Cobb Vanth and saw mm-hmm. this coming. Um, but uh, yeah, I man, what an iconic moment! Like, I think, I think that's going to go down in in the history of Star Wars of like Cobb Vanth standing in that doorway. It's like I, I saw, I saw, I saw a video on Twitter uh, where somebody had like cut the music, the song "Bad to the Bone" <laughs> in there, like over over top of that, and it's just like that. That's it's, funny. it's it's one hundred percent accuracy for me sure. of like that is that's Cobb Vanth, like that would be his anthem. I I man, what a character! Uh, I'm gonna continue and then and then we can get into yeah, the details. Yeah, go of for character. it. Uh, the marshal introduces himself and invites Din to sit down and have a drink. Din looks on, confused, as the marshal, Cobb Vanth, removes his helmet. He's no Mandalorian, but he has heard the stories. He figures Mando won't be too happy about him wearing the armor, and he's right. Din demands he hand it over, but Cobb is reluctant. It seems they're going to have to settle this the old-fashioned way. But as the two stare each other down and prepare for a shootout, they're interrupted by a tremor. A tremor that's getting worse every second. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I use a lot of Western uh, uh, <laughs> cliches in this recap because I just well, this is the perfect myself. one, man. Um, this is the perfect episode. So, it is so one hundred percent, and and obviously Timothy Oliphant as Cobb Vanth. Uh, this is what he does. This is his wheelhouse. Is mm-hmm. uh, is is the the marshal, right? The 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 sheriff. The 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 lone gunman sort of, uh, and it's perfect because Din himself is, uh, is the stranger, right? Like that's for the, for, for most of season one, we didn't even know his name. Uh, he was just the Mandalorian, which is the same as Clint Eastwood's character, uh, uh, in, in all of the Western, not all of the Westerns, but in many of the Westerns that he did where he's just the stranger never has a name. Right. Mm. Um, and that's the inspiration there, right? And and that all goes back to the fact that Boba was originally designed after the Stranger, after Clint Eastwood. And when you look at some of the original, um, the original concept art, he's actually wearing the poncho. He's got the like the poncho sort of slung to one side mm. um, that that Clint Eastwood has uh, in in those movies. So. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Cobb did or Mando no, did? No, Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Okay. Like, oh, like Boba. Oh, wow. yeah, like in, oh, yeah, of course. Super okay, early sure. stuff when he still the, the, got the, the old white stuff. armor. Yeah, when the yeah. helmet was still white and everything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, sure. So, so like, the, like this this, this uh, legacy of, of the Mandalorians being cowboys, it goes all the way back, right? And obviously yeah, it, it links start. up with with Han Solo and, and his his cowboy aesthetic as well. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's an integral part of Star Wars. The like the cowboy element, that Wild West element, it's there. It's it's one of the genres that it draws so heavily on. But but this episode goes so much harder <laughs> on that vibe, and it's it's so good, like to great effect. Um, and I just I love this character instantly. But I I'm a huge Timothy Oliphant fan. Yeah, me too. Actually, so I I had forgotten that he was in this season like i i might have heard it over the summer and that was it yeah yeah like i just i don't even remember if i ever actually heard and then as soon as he took his helmet off i was like 
No way! That's awesome! I mean, I knew, I just by his voice, obviously, it wasn't Boba Fett. And I was like, who is yeah. this guy? And then as soon as I saw it was, it was Timothy, I was like, "There's uh, this is blowing my mind. I love that. That was, that, that was like, a fun from, surprise. Yeah, from the moment that you see him, you're like, that's Boba Fett's armor. That's mm-hmm. not Boba Fett, right? Because right. he's obviously a lot taller and thinner. It doesn't fit him right, and it, which is one of my favorite things. Which is, is hilarious. That, yeah, I, <laughs> like, and awesome. I think that, like, in in a lesser show, they wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah. But, but again, because so much of The Mandalorian is about not what's said, but what's shown, mm-hmm. uh, like, we, we're getting the story before we even get the story. Like, we know immediately like he found that armor he somehow he came across that armor he it doesn't fit him it's not his as opposed to when we look at at din who we know we already know the story of how he got his armor that's what season one was primarily or not primarily but but like like a big chunk of it the first third of it was about him getting that armor Mm -hmm. so we know like it's built to the warrior it's built for them and it's actually like it's a symbol of their status so here's this guy that doesn't look right. He still looks badass. He still looks awesome. <laughs> but it, it's not quite a right. Doofy, it's just a little yeah. bit off. And it is a little bit, yeah, like, it's a little bit doofy. Just a little tiny bit. Um, but then he, he sits down, he takes off the helmet, and it's such a moment. And and amazing work from Pedro Pascal emoting through that mask. Uh, because we know exactly how Din feels. The second that that helmet comes off, mm-hmm. um, it's almost like a record scratch. <laughs> uh, yeah, this this yeah. show is kind of a, a masterclass in that golden rule of show don't tell, yeah. right? Like we're we're what ten minutes into this episode now, and we're already complimenting on all the visual storytelling cues yeah. that they're doing without any verbal exposition. I mean, of course, there's going to be some exposition because. That's the way it kind of goes, but they're they're giving you so many layers to the story, and setting up all these like little cues and and things that'll pay off later or or mm-hmm. pay off from the past or whatever. All these little things that just kind of like just like add to the meat of it. Oh my, this show is so good at that. Like it, it's it never disappoints in that regard. Yeah, for sure. Let's keep going. Cool. Uh, let's see. Din follows the marshal outside, just as the source of the earthquake arrives. The ground ripples beneath them. It's some sort of creature, and it blows through the small town in search of prey. It leaves as quickly as it arrives, but not before taking a bantha and the watering tr- watering trough 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 watering trough. Uh, it was drinking from with it. Whatever it is, it's big, and it will be back. Uh, so obviously this is the crate dragon, right? Sure. Uh, uh, and uh, when this happens, at first I was like, "Is that something new? That's not a crate dragon." Like we know what crate dragons look like, mm-hmm. right? Because because we there's a bunch of expanded universe stuff. Uh, primarily, I think like the the first thing that a lot of us would probably go to is Knights of the Old Republic. Yes, that's um, where my head went. Yeah, and it's like, well, that's not a crate dragon. Because and there's Ralph McQuarrie art of what a crate dragon looked like, right? Um, and it's way too big to be a crate dragon. It's some sort of like sandworm. It's like a Star Wars sandworm that we've never heard of before. Cool. And then we get to the next scene. I'm, I'll, I'll read this part. <laughs> As the town people repair the city, the marshal explains that he's been protecting them with the help of the armor. 
but he's no match for a crate dragon. Mando suggests that they use his ship to blow it up, but Cobb says it'll sense him coming and burrow deeper. But he knows where to find it. So we get the confirmation immediately. And this is another one of those things that tells me that... that uh, I'm going to say that this was a Dave stroke of like, you have to name it immediately. Because otherwise, <laughs> the audience, like like these guys, they're not going to let it go until they know if it's a crate dragon. But once you know it's a crate dragon, <laughs> then like we can move on with the story. Right? Probably that's a good point. Like like I think that I think Dave knows those elements of Star Star Wars storytelling mm-hmm. really well. So because because so often uh, in in Clone Wars, Rebels, Mando, like it, those things that that the things that are going to be up for debate are left very vague. The things sure. that need to be clear are like, here it is. <laughs> Here's the connection. That's mm-hmm. that character. That's that thing. We're on that planet. Right? Like it's always, he's very good at being like, yes, <laughs> now let's move on. There's more important things to talk about. <laughs> um, because I, he just, I, being a huge star Wars fan, I think he knows like if we're going to show a crate dragon on screen for the first time in Canon, we have to be very clear. We have to say crate dragon several times. Um, <laughs> right. and, and they definitely do, right? The two set out across the dunes on their speeder bikes as the marshal tells Mando about the mining collective moving in on their settlement the moment the Empire fell. He barely managed to get away, but escaped into the desert with his life. And a Camtono of... <laughs> okay. A Camtono... Of silicax crystals. I don't yeah, remember you, him saying it like this. You nailed it. He he literally does. He says a he camtono. Says, I got away, of... But I but he took a camtono of silicax crystals. <laughs> All right. Star Wars. Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> TM, trademark. trademark. <laughs> <laughs> he wandered the desert for days until he was picked up by a Jawa sandcrawler. The Jawas wanted to trade for the crystals. They offered him all sorts of droids and salvage, but Cobb wanted the armor. Uh, one thing that I'll know about these Jawas, uh, they've gotten so good with the Jawa costumes. Um, I, I, this might make me a bad Star Wars fan. I don't know. I don't think I've ever noticed that Jawas are furry underneath their robes. Have you? I mean, how could you unless you actually saw, <laughs> saw it? You know what Jawa. I mean? Um, but yeah, like the, there's a the, we get some close-ups of the hands, and uh, and and there were just details that I never noticed before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I, that was, it was really cool. And it makes me want to go back and watch, uh, a new hope and, uh, and watch, um, and watch the second episode, the egg, uh, uh episode I, of, of Mando and see if those, if, if I can spot that stuff in there as well. I had a, uh, a 12, well, it wasn't a 12 inch, but it was from the 12 inch <laughs> yeah. series line that I think was six inch. And I remember the robes like were, were fabric but like, you know, obviously the character underneath it was was plastic. And I remember when the robe was off, it just felt like a jaw was, was just like all bandages, like a yeah. like almost like a dark mummy kind of thing with the eyes glowing. At least that's how I remember it. I got to I got to try to find it because now yeah, I'm really there, curious. And, and that I think that that was that was what I was working with in my head as well. Right. Hmm. Um but but yeah, I did notice that like there was like like a furry like almost like a Wookie type arm uh, underneath that uh, underneath that. Wow. Okay. That I didn't rope, pick up so. on that. Um, but anyways, I I and I hope that we never see a Jawa face. They need to stay <laughs> hidden like that. Uh, it's uh, it's it's too good not to. 
It's um, important. Let me continue here. Uh, he returned to town and confronted the collective, quickly dispatching a few of the thugs. The rest took off in their speeder. No doubt they'd be back with reinforcements. Using the rocket launcher on his back, the marshal made sure they'd never be back. And uh, we get that great moment of the of the targeting reticle coming down the that, mm. the the antenna uh, that is in fact a little targeting thing, and and then he bends over just like the toy. Like I love that that he doesn't. It's not like he doesn't like do like a three point hero pose. He literally just <laughs> bends forty five degrees at the waist and shoots a rocket, and it's mm. like. I have to imagine that that was a direction that that was like, like, and that, that to me is not Dave. That's John. Mm-hmm. That's John Favreau. Who's like, just like my Boba Fett action figure. Yeah. He's playing with his the toys here. Yeah. Sure. Cause, and he has described it as such in the past. So, um, cause that's that, like, yeah, we saw Django use the, use the rocket, but we've never seen Boba use the rocket. Um, the one thing, this is my only complaint about the episode actually. I think that that should have been Boba's rocket. It's not. It looks like yeah. I was wondering because it would have made sense of like, oh, he used that one rocket mm, and then he had to get a replacement, and the replacement is different. But instead, it's the it looks like the same one that he's got. So so then you have to go like, okay, I guess the oh, Jawas yeah. had extra. I don't know. Or maybe well, it's was, like a maybe it's like well, a I was USB thinking, right. Like there's just it, like they make a bunch of different rockets. They all go into the same slot. <laughs> well, it also makes sense that it wouldn't be the Boba rocket because that's how he probably got out of the, like how the armor sure. made its way out of the Sarlacc in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? I think, I think we're supposed to, if we don't have prior knowledge, like if you haven't read the aftermath stuff, we're supposed to be thinking like, did the, did the Sarlacc spit it out? Like did, right. did it, like, like how did that happen? And then it's the end of, well, we'll get there. yeah i was careful with my wording just now too and i realized what i was about to say i don't think we have to be careful about spoilers (laughs) but fair uh fair assessment uh go you can go ahead all right uh mando and the marshal make their way through a rocky canyon but come to a sudden stop when they hear the howl of some sort of creature stopping they prepare for the worst and are confronted by a pack of mastiff mando moves toward the animals Cobb standing back confused, and calls out to them in a low, guttural language. The leader of the pack trots over, suddenly as docile as a domesticated Lothcat. Before the marshal can even ask, two Tuscans emerge from behind the rock. Mando communicates with them, using their own language. They want to kill the crate as well. Uh, this is where the episode goes from being a lot of fun and really cool to being some of the best star wars i've ever seen mm-hmm. i when those mastiff come out and you're like oh cool wild mastiff right like you're like oh yeah i remember those from attack of the clones and it mm-hmm. killed a bunch of them i uh, and the women and children as well i uh, and then and then like you get that moment of him calling it over and you're like what how does he like know how to tame them and then the, the Tuscans step out from behind the rock. And it's just like great. Just like in, in season one in the Gunslinger episode, when he's like, maybe you should ask them yourself. And the camera just jerks over and there's two of them standing <laughs> there. It's just this great thing of like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is their planet. Like, like you are an intruder. Mm. That like they, 
and and we get it later when he's explained to the to the to the, to the townspeople of like this is like they live on these sands like they, like you guys survive here they, like this is their home mm-hmm. right and it's stuff like this that that reminds you of that and also um there's such a great character building component to to Din Djarin of like he he most people just fight the Tuscans. Right? Yeah, they they have a reputation, and and it's and and it's understandable why most people fight them. But but Din isn't like everybody else, right? He he would, in all circumstances, I think it's it's really clear he would rather do it the easy way than the hard way, right? But people push him, and he often has to do it the hard way, and he's fully capable. But but like this is this is one of those moments where we see like he's a very like understanding, very calm and rational person. Um, and, and I kind of want to see this, the story of how he got to that point with the Tuskins, like right? give me a comic, a mini series or something, Marvel. Yeah. Like, like where did, like, who did he learn this from? Where did he, yeah. learn this, right. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I, I would maintain that maybe we'll get to see it this season. Cause I do think we're going to get flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that because Star Wars doesn't usually do flashbacks, but obviously in, in the sequel trilogy, we started getting them. And in Mandalorian in season one, we got flashbacks. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I think that we're going to see some of his training with Death Watch. Um, and, and on on, on the, the note of blast from the past, did we know did we mention the pod racer? We didn't know. We kind of glossed right over that. Dude. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Cobb's speeder is is Anakin's pod racer, Dude. or one of the pods. <laughs> oh man! Pod so I like to think that there's a story there of like obviously uh, Watto got to keep the pod racer, mm-hmm. but he didn't keep his pilot right. So he had to find somebody else to to fly that pod, and whoever it was just wasn't up to it, and and definitely crashed it on the first outing and that single pod is all that's left. And it's I been, was, it's been, uh, uh, booting around Tatooine forever until it found its way to Cobb. Uh, I was under the impression movie. that I don't know if it was Canon or EU, but I remember reading somewhere that Saboba actually bought that pod racer. Oh yeah. That would, uh, that would make sense because he because he trashed his own right his his, his yeah got his, his was end. gone this one bested his yeah uh, Anakin Skywalker's pottery so I gotta know I'm sorry <laughs> it's okay here I'll continue while you look okay so, sounds good because uh, we'll, we'll get in it when you talk about the Tuscan camp uh, mm-hmm. later at the Tuscan camp Mando discusses with the Tuscans as Cobb sits uneasily by his side. A Tuscan offers him some kind of fruit, but Cobb is disgusted by it. The Tuscans, already wary of Cobb and the citizens of Mos Pelgo, are incensed at his show of disrespect. A fight is about to break out when Din interrupts. With a flamethrower, of course. Uh, if they don't mm-hmm. work together, the crate will kill them all. Uh, and th- Again, like this is just sort of continuing on, on this, this idea of... Um, and it's very Western, but it's it's very subversive to the Western tropes of, uh, I you know the 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 quote unquote savages, right? Meaning uh, Native Americans or First Nations people, mm-hmm. um, and and sort of the way that colonizers look at them, as opposed to the way that that Din deals with them, um, and uh, and and 
you know, like there's no lo- love lost between these groups. They know who he is. They know who Cobb is. They know that he's killed a bunch of them. And it's like, well, they attacked us first. And it's like the, it's sort of, it's nobody, nobody cares who shot first. Everybody just knows that it's always been a fight. Right. Um, and, but here's Mando brokering this piece. And, uh, and it's interesting. Like I, I think the, the, the most interesting thing about it is, is just hopefully get to see later on if we if we revisit Cobb, which I think we will. I think we'll see Cobb Vanth again either this season or next season. I hope so, man. I I love yeah. this character. I um, really did. To to see that like hopefully see that the piece has lasted and that maybe it's even begun to develop into a into a relationship between these two peoples and that maybe the, the Mandalorian's influence is actually changing Tatooine for the better, right? Aww. Because because where we see it in season one it's at it's at its lowest point right and sure. and <clears throat> if you go back into the lore of tatooine like there's some stuff about like mining and stuff like that and that's kind of how it got to the way that it is like it didn't it wasn't always a desolate wasteland right um <clears throat> and i don't know this stuff super well so um i could be wrong about certain things but but from what i understand it's like they they basically colonizers uh I, I, humans from the core came looking for stuff that they could take and have like basically destroyed the planet destroyed the mm. ecosystem and turned it into a, a barren wasteland and and like like strip mined it for everything that it, that's valuable and all that's left are these small claims and stuff like that um and then after the empire after jabba is killed and then after the empire falls it's kind of like it's at the it's at the lowest point it's ever been. There's no reason to go to Tatooine. You're only there if you're stuck there. Mm-hmm. Um, but to like I I would think like to hopefully see it begin to to return right like for for the for maybe like like with the crate dragon killed, uh, maybe the ecology starts to to return and maybe like like with this peace between these peoples like this, we could see this area of. Tatooine start to change and indicate, flourish a little bit. Yeah. Indicate that the whole planet is undergoing a transformation, right? Ah, that'd be cool. One of the things I talked about this on the on the Thunderquack podcast with Amanda, I that I find really interesting is when you look back at season one, everywhere that the Mandalorian goes, everywhere that Din visits, he leaves better than he found it. Right, he goes to to Navarro, and at first he kind of leaves it in shambles. He definitely yeah. he definitely uh, doesn't do a great job for that. But that's at the beginning of the story before he really becomes a hero. Um, it's his heroic action that leads to uh, 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 the the covert being destroyed. But when he leaves at the end of the season, grief is like you've like we're free from the tyranny of the Empire. Maybe we can actually make something of this, right? And when he goes to Sorgon, like he they they he teaches them how to defend themselves, right? When he deals with the with the 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 with the bad guys, the 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 thieves or whatever in the prison, the space station, yeah, they're all locked up. <laughs> I, like everywhere everywhere he goes, he kind of he kind of leaves his mark, and it's and it's it's for the better, usually. Um, I and I. I like I don't know I, I I think that it's kind of like his calling card almost of like he's a like he's a it's very it's it's very like like uh, Canterbury Tales like Chaucer mm. 
type of heroic knight stuff of like he's a he's a <laughs> and which ties into the ronin sort of thing and the cowboy thing but like it's all kind of he's such a mashup of all of these different tropes of all of these different archetypes and but, it's not even his goal either he's just he just has a conscience it's in his nature right yeah it's, he and 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 to me it's like that's he it's almost like what he's been trained to do by the mandalorians and becoming a bounty hunter out of necessity is actually against his better nature. Mm. It's it's against who he is as a person, and the child is is returning him back to the state that like his natural state, um, and 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 it is like it's once he's got the child and he begins to grow that that's when he starts like having this positive influence everywhere he goes, right? So, I know like I I feel like that's got to be intentional. Because again, in this episode, he leaves it better than he found it, and mm-hmm. I, 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 I think that that's something that we'll continue to see with this character. Uh, um, so, by the way, yes, in Legends, Qui Gon yeah. Jinn sold the Pod Racer to Sebulba, who changed the color scheme to orange. So, I think it's of safe course. to say uh, that's no longer canon since the Pod Racer. At least half of it looked the way we remembered those engines. It was kind of it was kind of red. I don't know. I, was I it? would say I would say that that front vein looked a little bit orange instead of yellow. Okay, right. Like the 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 two the two stabilizer veins on the front of it. Right. Like, well, I remember it being like a different angle now that it was that it was attached to like a a speeder. Yeah. I guess because I remember it being either turned upwards or downwards or like the side was on top or on the bottom now or something weird. Like it wasn't the same angle we were used to seeing yeah. it, but because of yeah. like the front of the pod racer, it was it was just recognizable. And then you just kind of connect the dots, like, oh yeah, I know what this is. I don't yeah. know. I gotta go back yeah. and look at it. Yeah, it's definitely been heavily modified into this speeder, right? But then mm-hmm. it's cool because that actually like ties into Ray's speeder as well, which is uh, basically just like a repurposed engine mm-hmm. that she just puts a seat on and 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 like figures out a way to steer it and. Uh, uh, it's very similar, right? That like these people on the in the in the outer rim, like they've got to just make do with what they've got. Uh, cool. Uh, you want to go ahead and continue? Yeah, sure. Uh, the Tuscans lead them on on Banthas in single file to hide their numbers. As a matter <laughs> of fact, uh, to the lair of the crate, they set up on a rocky outcropping as one of the Tuscans leads a Bantha to the opening of a large cave. They say this is an abandoned Sarlacc pit. By offering up the Bantha to the dragon, they'll ensure that it continues sleeping longer, keeping their tribe safe. The Tuscan calls out to the dragon, and soon a rumbling emerges from the cave. The dragon breaches the surface, but it doesn't eat the Bantha. It eats the Tuscan. They might be open to some new ideas. Uh, what a great know. moment that was. Because <laughs> so like, was... you kind of know that it's coming. You kinda, you're kind of like, ooh. He should have started running sooner. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you still there? Like, you d- it, you can hear it. Start going now. <laughs> and he kept, like, turning around to yeah. look at it, too, I remember. And, yeah. You kind of, you know, like, if you, like, panned over to a couple of the Tuscans in the back, that they, one of them's just shaking his head, and the other one's going, oh, <laughs> Phil, man, yeah. we told you, you got to get out of there. You yeah. got to get out of there. You had one job. Yeah. <laughs> I... Yeah, I'll continue. The tribe is devising a plan, but there aren't enough of them to take on the massive creature. Din volunteers the townspeople, much to Cobb's dismay. They return to the village to try and convince them to help, 
The town respects their marshal, but Cobb isn't so sure they'll be willing to work with the Tuscans. And he's right. But the Mandalorian manages to win them over when he explains that they've struck a deal. And that deal is is peace, right? Uh, they'll mm-hmm. stop raiding your settlement. Uh, they'll leave you guys alone. Uh, as long as you leave them alone. Uh, and they can have... Basically, they want the meat. They want that crate dragon meat. They want, they want its ichor. Uh, which ichor is like... Uh, I think ichor is like it's basically what it spits out at them, right? Like the mm-hmm. the, the bile, right? Um, like they just they want the natural resource that is the crate dragon, um, and that's it, I. This is one of those things. I really hope that if we come back to Tatooine this season, that Din flies over that carcass, and we get to see what's happened to it after mm-hmm. like a couple of months, sort of thing depending on, <laughs> on like the timeline of the season, but just to sort of see that, like, cause to me, it's like, that's where I would see like, like it's like turned into, it's transformed into something else. Right. Like, like things have like grown out of it sort of thing because it's nourished the earth for the first time in in forever, instead of this thing, like, like these sarlaccs and these crate dragons just devouring everything for once. Like, like it's, uh, the, the circle of life is, uh, is, is restored and you see some womp rats or whatever. Cause we still haven't seen womp rats. We've been to Tatooine so many times. We ain't mm. never seen a dang womp rat and I really want to see one. Uh, I, but yeah, like we see like some of these creatures sort of, I, I, that have dens and whatever. I let me speaking around. of let me ask yeah. you something how do you feel about the abandoned sarlacc pit being a cave what yeah were the logistics on that one here's what here's what i'll say i think that it makes a lot of sense i think that they uh from an evolutionary standpoint the sarlacc that we saw in in return of the jedi i uh, is out in the middle of the dune sea right also mm-hmm. a good place because it's hidden by the dunes, right? So it's it's sitting there hoping that a bantha is going to stumble upon it and fall into its clutches, right? Another logical place for a sarlacc to, to, to make a dwelling would be inside a deep cave because a bantha is going to make its way into that cave for shelter from, mm. let's say, a sandstorm or something, and the sarlacc's going to be able to ensnare it with its tentacles sure. and, and pull it in, right? But I like the idea that, like, okay, we know what a sarlacc is. And if you know your EU, you know that a sarlacc, the mouth, like that pit, is the smallest part of it, right? right. Like underneath. It goes the, way down. Yeah, like it's basically just a bunch of big stomachs and more tentacles and sort of that sort of thing. Like it has deep roots. Um, so the idea there of, like, it's big. A, a crate dragon is big because it's the only thing. It's the apex predator. It's the only thing that eats a sarlacc, right? Um, I I liked that idea, I, and I especially like. I thought that, that was, was super presented. cool. It was yeah. it was very Jaws. Like there there are a couple of moments here, um, and this this is actually one of the moments when when uh, when Cobb is trying to convince the people. And then uh, Din steps forward and he's like, look, <laughs> it's only a matter of time before it gets tired of Banthas. It'll eat the whole, it, it, I think he says, like, it, it, like, it'll eat the whole town when the fancy hits it or mm-hmm. strikes it or something. And it just, like, it remind me, reminded me so much of um, of the, 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 the crazy captain 
guy in in Jaws when he like does the chalkboard thing and he's like, so oh, let me let me tell you about the shark. The shark, oh, it's a big shark. And it's like, like Din has that same vibe of like when the fancy hits it. I feel like that was a direct nod to that character. And you know what? Now that you mention it, the the line they might be open to some new ideas is very. We're gonna need a bigger boat. Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. Good, good catch on that. Yeah. Wow. Um, and again. This is this is the way that Dave Filoni. This is his influence on Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It's everything. It's always everything. It's ev- there's every kind of reference. <laughs> it's not just. And I think this is where like like I I with the Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker, as opposed to the Last Jedi. When I talk about those movies, I I do love the Force Awakens, but the Force Awakens spends a lot of time referencing Star Wars. Yeah. Right? And the Rise of Skywalker even more so and even worse. Because mm. the references to me, it's not Lawrence Kasdan referencing Star Wars. It's Chris Terrio. And he I don't think that he knows Star Wars as well as somebody needs to to write a movie. But but The Last Jedi doesn't reference Star Wars, right? The Last Jedi references the things that inspired Star Wars. It mm. references Kurosawa. It references uh, I the like the the Western stuff. It references I mean I would say that it references the prequels, but it's a little bit of a different thing. But it, but again, it references. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the movie. But that one shot when we enter the casino, that like that's the long shot. That's that's like that that really well known shot from the silent movie era, where it's like it's like they, it's full of that sort of stuff. And Dave's stuff is the same, where it's like he doesn't yeah. reference Star Wars as much as he references the influences that that create star wars um and then goes back to source material like original unused stuff like ralph mccrory in order to build out the universe and and i think like that he continues to do that as an executive producer on the mandalorian and this is one of those elements where it's like they already did it (laughs) they already did it in star wars rebels right with the with the the when we meet captain rex in star wars rebels that's a jaws story like it's it's meant to literally uh, in uh, invoke uh, a lot of the ideas from Jaws, right up to like the bow on the ATTE is meant to be this. It's got the same bow. It's got that um, that like plank on the front of mm-hmm. it. That exactly the same as the orca in Jaws, right? And they talk about it that like that's a direct uh, uh, influence. But I so that's one of the things that makes me go like it's here too. Like this is definitely. <laughs> Because there is like this scene is very much that scene in the in Jaws where they're having the the town hall meeting of like how are we going to deal with this and then you've got the the crazy guy at the back of the at the back of the room that's like I'll 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 deal with your with your shark um, I can't remember the character's name right now but anyways I <laughs> uh, yeah I I where are we uh, I think I'm me? up it's you yeah, I think I'm up. <clears throat> The Tuscans arrive as the townsfolk prepare dozens of mining charges. It's an uneasy alliance, but it's the only hope of taking down the massive crate. The plan is to bury the charges at the mouth of the cave while the dragon sleeps. Then they'll draw it out, and when the dragon exposes its belly, they'll hit it from below with the explosives. The townsfolk and Tuscans get to work setting up the trap. And we get to see so many cool... We get to see Tuscan siege weapons, (laughs) which... I, to anybody who asks the question of like, where did they get those? They're called Tuscan Raiders. 
The reason why they're called <laughs> Tusken Raiders in the in the Legends EU at least is that they they got the name because they took down Fort Tusken, which was like a, a major stronghold. Oh, it was I basically didn't know that. like it was basically like the headquarters of of the uh, of the settlement, right? Like back when when the 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 people came from the core worlds to to colonize Tatooine, and like that's how they got the name. I know this because I asked uh, John Jackson Miller, who wrote Kenobi, what if 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 the Tuscans have a name for their species for their people in their own language, like for themselves, yeah, yeah. Because I was because I was like a Tuscan Raider seems kind of like a derogatory thing. Sand people is certainly meant to be a, a slur, right? Like it's it's definitely especially in this use. You'll notice like like. Uh, Din only calls them the sand people, I think once. And mm-hmm. he only does it when he's talking to the townsfolk. The rest okay. of the time he calls them the Tuscans. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and John Jackson Miller was very kind and responded to me and was like, so this is the deal like this. They actually are really proud of being called Tuscan Raiders because it's mm. like a badge of honor. It's like, cause it's like, yeah, we're the Tuscan Raiders and you should be afraid of us. <laughs> so that's cool. It's what they do. Like they, they're warring people they're warring tribes right so they've got these awesome siege weapons that it's like oh well this is the perfect thing to use to hunt a, uh like basically we'll put harpoons on it and we'll and we'll use it to hunt the 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 crate it's also like they've like their people have hunted crate in the past so they would have these things um maybe they haven't used them in a hundred years but uh but they look pretty sturdy so I loved it. I, it was. It, I got some Game of Thrones vibes from it. Yeah, that's neat. <laughs> um, but but I thought it was so cool. I love that they took some of the aesthetic from the gaffy sticks and put it into the into the 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 hooks on the harpoons. How they mm. were like the square, like the like um, sort of those like hollowed out uh, rectangles on the side of it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that they looked like they belonged to the Sand People to the Tuscans, right? Like it 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 was perfect to me. Um, the air is still as three Tuscans approach the cave. They call out to the dragon, and the dragon growls back. The enormous creature bursts from the ground as Tuscans snare it with their harpoons. The dragon begins to retreat, but hunters be- but the hunters begin their barrage of slugs and explosives in an attempt to draw it out. It works, but the dragon needs to come out further if the explosives are going to damage its soft underbelly. Suddenly, it rears back and vomits acidic bile at those close enough to be caught in its attack. But the dragon is now exposed, and Mando yells for Cobb to detonate the explosives. And then you, you can keep going from here. I think we'll, we, we can power sure. through this part. The explosive sends out a concussive blast, and the dragon disappears into the ground. But it's not dead yet. It emerges atop the mountain and hits the hunting party with yet another blast of its corrosive bile. Mando and Cobb take to the sky on their rockets, landing next to the creature and hitting it with everything they've got. They manage to get its attention, and it returns to the base of the mountain, emerging to try and capture more hunters in its massive jaws. I... Is there anything better in life than a couple of guys with jetpacks and Mandalorian helmets taking to what? the sky like the goddamn a rocketeer? Cool image that was. It's Just like it was a short sequence. And it was almost like it almost felt like there was no point once they landed yeah. up on top and just shot it and then left. Like other than 
hey, we have jetpacks, we should use them. Yeah. But I don't care. <laughs> like, it was just fun, cool action. It's purely there for the pulp, but guess what? It's Star Wars. It's, Some of the stuff, the, the, the Rancor, the... the uh, <laughs> The, when Obi-Wan jumps out of the window and attack the clones right. to grab on. Like, some of Star Wars is just there for the pulp. It's just yeah. there for the adventure. And, uh, again, if this is one of the things... Like, if, if the logic of, of we're going to go up there and shoot it with our blasters, uh, expecting that to do something, it's like, well, I mean, like, there is logic. They're trying to get its attention, get it to come back down, mm. right? But But on top of that, it's also just like our heroes enter the battle, right? Like, and, and they do it in such an amazing style and, uh, and, and it's exactly what we want to see. It's exactly yeah. what we want to see. And again, it's It tells a little bit of the story. Clearly Mando has been training with the, the jetpack. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Cobb has used it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so here's my thing. When we show up, Cobb is obviously not a Mandalorian. He doesn't stand like a Mandalorian. The armor doesn't fit him. It's not his. But in this fight, and in the moment before it, when we see him take the the fruit that he had earlier been given and 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 like sort of tossed away, he's given it again, and this time he drinks it. And he makes a little bit of a grimace, but but he takes it, right? Yeah. And he and it's clear that he's learning from Din and he's he has what it takes. Mm-hmm. It's inside Cobb. He look, there's no reason for him to stick around and defend this town except for the fact that he's a good guy. He's a hero, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's a lot like Din taking on this the, he, there was no reason for Din to go back and save the child in in the sin, right? Right. But he did it because it was the right thing to do and he couldn't live with himself if he didn't. Cobb could have gotten that armor and he could have left, right? Oh, I got this armor now. I'll, the the Jawas will drop me off at some other settlement, and I'll, I'm I'm gonna maybe I'll sell the armor and get off Tatooine, right? And never look back. Instead, what does he do? He goes back and he defends that town time and time again, uh, and that's why they follow him, right? And and to me, it's like this moment of the two of them taking off together to fight this thing. And then in a second, when when Din is willing to like, he's like, I don't know if this plan's gonna work. If it doesn't, you look after the kid, right? Like he trusts Cobb, and and again, it's another show don't tell, of like like it's all in the action. It's all in what's happening on screen. That that that, and that's why I think we're gonna see Cobb again, especially because when he says, you know, hopefully our paths cross again, I. Uh, I think that when Din needs to to rally his allies again this season, like he did last season, that Cobb's going to be one of those guys, and and I think that he like when we find out that somebody else isn't worthy of the armor, that uh, it might return to Cobb. There might be mm-hmm. a, there might be a moment there of like, if you want this, it's yours, but it comes with a couple of <laughs> provisos. Uh, there's a bit, there's a bit of a contract to sign, but, and I think Cobb might be up for it. I think that he might be, that he might be willing to, to take that on. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it kind of, I, it, maybe I'm putting too much faith in the character. Maybe I'm putting cause I want to see no, it. No, I agree. But, I agree but, with you. but I, there was growth. to me, it's there. It's there. He's, yeah. he is, he has the heart of a hero and that's the most important thing. Uh, 
and and I just want more Timothy Oliphant. I just want yeah, I just me want too. all of it. I want him to be like in season three as a main character, like fall like like as part of uh, part of the clan of two. <laughs> Expand it. Let's let's <laughs> get some more Mandalorians in there. <clears throat> I where are we? Where are we? Uh, I think I'm oh, up, right? Uh, no, this one's me. Uh, oh, Din okay. Din has an idea, but he needs the creature's attention. The marshal launches a rocket, hitting the dragon square in the eye. They have its attention. As the beast barrels toward them, Din takes the detonator, telling Cobb to watch after the child, and hits his rocket pack, sending the marshal soaring. That damn that damn jetpack, it's, it's <laughs> dangerous. Din stands his ground, grabbing the lead of the bantha, carrying the remaining charges. The crate swallows them whole and disappears into the ground. Should I keep going yeah, on that yeah, one? Yeah, keep going. Okay, moments later, the beast emerges, opening its gigantic jaws as the Mandalorian flies out, electricity crackling around him as he shoots the creature with his rifle. He lands and hits the detonator, slaying the dragon at last. Uh, and uh, look, if it, if you want to get into the nitty-gritty of the symbolism of going into the jaws of the beast, like into the belly... And, and emerging victorious, uh, I highly suggest that you go listen to What the Force, to the most recent episode with uh, with uh, uh, Marie Claire and uh, and and Ty Black uh, as they dig into the symbolism. They they do a much better job than I ever could because they know this stuff backwards and forwards, <laughs> uh, like the mythic sim- symbolic hero's journey type stuff. I'm just mm-hmm. a fan of it. I just I just I just love to to uh to to uh, digest it but it's i'm not as good at uh at, at talking about that stuff as they are so they like, i can't recommend that podcast highly enough <laughs> uh, right. and and those two women are genius when it comes to this stuff um but but there is a lot of like mythic symbolism there and that's why i use the language of slaying the dragon uh, uh and he comes up <laughs> you mean that wasn't an accident green. yeah <laughs> Um. Yeah. Let let me finish this off, and and then sure. we can talk about. Sure. Uh, we talk about that ending. Uh, in the wake of the battle, the Tuscans gather the spoils of the hunt, discovering a prized crate dragon pearl within. Din is likewise rewarded by his new ally Cobb Vanth with the Mandalorian armor. Our hero sets off as the sun set, but he's being watched by a mysterious figure sporting a gaffy stick and slug thrower. And then obviously that mysterious character turns around and we see his face and it's look, it's Boba. That's Boba Fett. There's no way that's not Boba Fett. Um, It's obviously Tamara Morrison. That's a hundred percent. But I'm like, I'll I'll allow people to have a little bit of speculation on this, but if you've read the aftermath trilogy, you know, like this is Boba. That's Boba. I, I, he survived. He's, he's been wandering around, Tatooine, I guess, for the last few years, looking for his armor. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting to me because I, I, based on this ending, I thought maybe we'd be sticking around on Tatooine this, uh, for the next episode, um, but mm-hmm. we're not. We've already seen sort of uh, some some of the preview stuff for for the next episode. We're we're on another planet um, that that I think might be Moncala, but we'll see. Um, there are Quarns and Mon Calamari on it, so that's why I say that. I, 
so I thought that maybe we'd be following up with this immediately, but since we're, it looks like we're not, I think we'll be coming back to Tatooine sooner rather than later. Um, I think, I think in fact that, that Cobb might send out a message because they might be in trouble. Uh, and, uh, uh, Boba may have just caught up with his armor as it left town and, uh, and, and he wants it back. Mm-hmm. Um, because of it, I mean, like, I think it's fairly obvious that's not his armor. That's his father's armor. That's Jango's right. armor originally. So there is a, there is a, 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 a personal value to it. It's, it's more than just a tool to Boba. Um, and so I think he'll want it back. I think that's why we see him there. I think that's what that's foreshadowing. And we, and the, there's no reason to bring that character back if not to have a confrontation between him and Din and for us to see, uh, he's, uh, cause I think Boba is a foil, right? Like I think in, in literary terms, he's, he is definitely like the shadow side of, of what a Mandalorian is. Um, and, and I mean, like a lot of people will, will tell you he's not a Mandalorian because Django wasn't a Mandalorian. He was, I guess he was like, he was like disavowed by them basically. Like he was, yeah, all he Mac was, says he, he wasn't, but yeah. Olmec is also a liar, so who knows? Yeah. So I uh, and but then on top of it, Boba is a clone. He's not. So who knows how the Mandalorians feel about that? But then mm. this this new group of Mandalorians, it's obviously like with the Foundlings and that sort of thing. It's like they, yeah, there's a component to it that like they've evolved. The 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 Mandalorian creed has become something else since then. Since Boba went into the Sarlacc, so. Um, yeah, it's. I think there's going to be a lot of stuff to reconcile there, uh, and and I, there's no reason, there's no reason to show him, if we're not going to do that, <laughs> right? Otherwise, it's just fan service uh, and not very good fan service, and I don't think that uh, Dave and John would do that to us. They in don't. This way. They don't put stuff like this in with no payoff. Yeah. They just don't. That's just not their style. So. Yeah, that's what like that's what a cameo by R five is for. That's not Boba yeah, Fett. Boba right. Fett's important, right? Um, yeah. So I think that I think we'll be coming back. I think we're gonna see Cobb Vanth. I think we're gonna see most going. I think we're gonna see Boba Fett again. Um, and I think it'll probably be somewhere around the midpoint of the season. Yeah, I think that's it's my possible. guess. Um, because I think like, like I, we also can't forget that moff gideon is out there right that he survived uh and uh and and eventually that's gonna come back to haunt din and uh, and the child because he's still out there and he still wants that kid and we don't know why we and and that's a that's really the only big mystery left from season one is why why does moff gideon want this this creature this this person this the child and he says Mm -hmm. it, it, it means more he says that that what does he say he says like that child the child means more to me than you could possibly know um and it's like okay what does that mean <laughs> like yeah. that's a ominous word really loaded right um so we'll see him at some point but and he's got the dark saber so i don't know i don't know do you do you think that we could see boba joining forces with with din do you think that that's what's in the cards I mean, I I go back to season one and I think about how Din kind of made friends along the way and they all joined up 
for that, you know, for the finale story arc. Yeah. And I kind of really want them to do it again, but because they already did it, I don't expect them to. But I would love for everybody to come together, for Cobb, for Boba, for Kara, for Carl Weathers, whose name I can never remember. Grief. Um, I, w- I would, yeah, I would love to see the whole gang together to take down Gideon. I think that would be awesome. And, you know, if if Ahsoka is going to be involved, all that speculation on all the rumors, Ahsoka, Sabine, all that stuff, yeah. you know, who knows how true any of that is. Um but I, I I would love to see gangs all here. Let's go kick Gideon's butt. Um, and I would love for Boba to be a part of that. I don't know how plausible it is, how likely it is, but I want it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's in my pipe dream list. I yeah I this this might sound weird to some people, but I actually would love to see a redemption of that character, right? Um, of Boba, of Boba, yeah, because because okay. because he is a villain, right? Like, and and I think that that um, it would be really interesting to to explore the idea of because because Mandalore has to be restored, right? Sure. And and I think that a really great way to do that symbolically to begin that process is to redeem the character Boba Fett. Mm. Um. I would say that that it's and it's twofold. It's both in in story terms, but it's also kind of in the eyes of the audience because the last time we got stories with Boba was in the Clone Wars. But for a lot of people, the last time they saw Boba Fett chrono- chronologically was in Attack of the Clones. Sure. And there are a lot of people who will still tell you that like, oh, they ruined Boba as a character by making him. A clone by 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 bringing him in in, in Attack of the Clones, making him a kid, all that stuff, right? Um, I don't personally think that. I think that they strengthened the character way more than any of the the pre existing EU ever did. Um, I do think that there were some things that Clone Wars did that that undermined some of the really cool stuff that was in the Legends stuff and in, in the Republic Commando stuff that fleshed out the Mandalorians, but that didn't necessarily affect Boba Fett directly right um and and i would have liked to have seen where that character grew if we had gotten those final episodes of the clone wars with him i think we still might i think i think that those are going to be in bad batch i think that that we're going to see bad batch uh boba and cad bane all together in an episode um i i maintain that 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 stuff's going to get adapted that that story is still there to tell of how he goes from being the kid that that Asajj Ventress locks in the crate, <laughs> right <laughs> in that episode, because I think that's the last time that we saw him, into being one of the greatest bounty hunters in the galaxy, and <clears throat> that story has to happen under the tutelage of Cad Bane, the other greatest bounty hunter I think that we've ever seen, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think that like to me that's that's where he's gonna learn to become the Boba Fett that we met in Empire. And that part of are, the story is still missing. Are you familiar with the animatic for? <clears throat> yeah, the... I know. I know okay. that it. I know that okay. it exists, but I've never watched it. Right. So. Oh, okay. So, like, I never watched any of that animatic stuff. So when we saw when when Bad Batch aired, that was my first time with those characters, other than seeing a little bit at Celebration back in okay. 2015. 
um, when they kind of debuted that stuff. But I never watched the animatic episodes because mm. I, I don't know why. I just never got around to it. It was just one of those oh, things. Oh, man. I was the day those were released, yeah. I was all over those. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't think that it'll be one to one. I think a lot like uh, uh, some of the elements of, of the Ahsoka stuff, it's like they changed that a lot. They they, sure. they went back and, and yeah, that and, especially and the, her walkabout. So the Bad Batch stuff really only changed like two scenes, I think, from the four episodes. Okay. Um, but Ahsoka was, I mean, just in general. Like the, well, the, I mean, they swapped the, out one character for two. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like they, like they, they, there was a lot. They changed Plus, that a lot. They also said there was so much more planned for her walkabout in general that they just yeah. kind of had to compress everything into those four episodes and how she grew as a character during that time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, so so I know I I think that we could see that story with Cad and, and yeah, Boba that would be cool in the future. Um, and and I think that it would actually be supported. This is the great thing about Star Wars storytelling is that we can jump back and forth in the timeline, mm. and uh, and it all it, like everything becomes richer, right? Like when we get a story from the Clone Wars era. Uh, after the fact, like season seven, way after the fact, it actually enriches not only uh, Revenge of the Sith, but it actually also ends up enriching. Like, I mean, like I think that that the sequel trilogy was enriched by some of the stories that were told there. Certainly, the original trilogy was, and Star Wars Rebels was, and it, like like uh, Darth Maul's story gets fleshed out more, and um, and I th- I think that we could get to see that here. We get to see. Boba, the furthest in the future that we've seen him, and then jump back to a story that establishes uh, his sort of coming of age back before uh, before A New Hope, right? Um, and and I think that Boba could actually end up being a character that they that they dig into really deep because they can because you've got Tamara Morrison, you've got um, you've got D. Bradley Baker who can do animated stuff, right? Like I I you can you can mine that character a lot in a way that you can't with luke or han or right. or or certainly with with uh with some of the the prequel trilogy characters i mean we're getting kenobi right so that's already that he's kind of the character that sits there it's like who else are you going to do a story about bail mm. <laughs> right like a yoda sitting on dagobah um which i mean we've got a little bit of that in star wars rebels but but uh, yeah, like I, 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 I think that that this kind of points towards Boba being a big thing in the next little while because he's a legacy character that we can get into, um, and he deserves it. I, I think I've I, people will know from from the last few years. Like I'm, I'm the first guy to be like Boba Fett's a punk. He's not the greatest <laughs> yeah. bounty hunter in the galaxy. That's, that's he my t- he gets, stance too. He gets taken out by Han Solo while he's blind by accident. Right. Can uh, can we also appreciate the fact that Din punched the same jetpack and yep. sent Cobb flying in exactly the same way? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's such a great callback. I I and and that jetpack is the reason why Django died. Right. It's it gets damaged by the reek, and then when he mm, that's, true, it's which is actually it's interesting. It's not in the it wasn't in the theatrical release, but when they released the it on, sparks, on right? DVD, they added the sparks. Yeah to explain like why Mace was able to kill Django so easily and why he stands there. Cause he's going to fire the jets and they fire, but they don't go. Mm. Right. And, and so Mace is able to, to, to take him down, it takes advantage of that moment. But it's the, the jetpack, And that's why I worry about Din, 
but it's also i think that that's one of the things that that the armorer was talking about in in uh the end of season one when she says like you know here's like you take this but you need to do your drills because it if it becomes like if you master it it becomes a part of you mm-hmm. otherwise it's dangerous and i think like that's kind of pointing to <laughs> boba and Django, they never mastered it they weren't they didn't they never got there they never quite got there um and it, and i mean like there's stuff in star wars rebels as well like with ezra <laughs> it's like he never quite ezra never quite gets the hang of the jetpack mm-hmm. but sabine does and it's sort of to me it's almost like the indicator of it's it's like the jetpack and the armor is almost like a lightsaber it's all to a mandalorian it's the same thing it's like when, when you've built your own lightsaber your training is complete i think when you've mastered that the rising phoenix you're a mandalorian right mm-hmm. um anyways let's uh let's let's hear from uh from the listeners and then uh, and then we'll close this episode out because this one's a doozy cool uh over on uh let's let's start with twitter over on twitter uh kyle avery at slim avery on twitter and of course you guys know who kyle is he commented uh on our on our twitter post uh two guys in mandalorian armor teaming up with an army of tuscan raiders to take down a crate dragon that was one heck of a star wars movie oh and they even harvested the pearl at the end which made my (laughs) inner kotor fan very happy uh yeah 100 100 percent. they nailed that um and i love it because like if if you don't like that is one of those moments like that's the there's no that doesn't mean anything right like it was that was just like a hey crate dragon pearl cool yeah um yeah well like i don't think the crate dragon pearl is going to come back and be a meaningful part of the season but uh but well, it's yeah. like the jawas with the egg right yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah uh and then over on instagram i uh, uh old man matt thor matt matt i don't i gotta ask matt how how he says this because it's it's m-a-t-t-t m-a-t-t-h-o-r uh uh anyways i matt campbell <laughs> who you guys will also know i uh, writes uh the season premiere was spectacular it set the bar for what looks to be an awesome season too the sets and landscapes of Tatooine were breathtaking. The heart, the heartthrob, Timothy Oliphant as the Marshall <laughs> Cobb Vanth was a perfect addition to the cast, and I would love to see him again in the future. Overall, still some of the best Star Wars content around. I can't endorse that enough. Uh, we got to see more Cobb, and to me, like this is this is one of my favorite Star Wars stories ever. Just this episode on its own. I like. I think. If there's a person out there who is like, oh, I'm kind of lukewarm on season one, this is the thing to show them and go, no, no, this is what you're missing out on. You gotta watch this, because uh, I feel like it's very self-contained. It's very much like its own. It's a movie, like it's a one-hour movie. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's to me, it was perfect. I loved it. Um, and then we got an email uh, from Sherston who says, uh, my favorite space western, taking on my favorite what monster western, Mando meets Tremors. F yes, pardon my French. Uh, no, that French is totally warranted. Yeah, Mando meets Tremors. We didn't even talk about the Tremors of it all, like the Tremors element. But uh, so good, so good. Uh, any any final thoughts before we before we wrap it up, Joe? I can't wait until tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah. yeah this, it's it's, it's, it's back to that horrible but wonderful like. Yeah. 
why am I not binging this? Like, all, why don't I wait to watch all of them? But then, like, but the I internet's going to spoil it. everything in the first five <laughs> minutes. And now that I know it's online, like, I got to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's it's such a it's a love-hate relationship, but it's it's one that I can't do without. I feel like with the second episode, I can at least, like, go to bed on time and, and just wake up early. I'll just wake up at 6 and watch it. And that way I'm not, like, hitting refresh mm-hmm. on the app and whatever. Um, and I'll just make sure that I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on social until mm. I've seen the episode. I, but, uh, easier said than done for me, but I, but yeah, I, I can't wait. I can't wait for the next episode. So let me ask you a question, <laughs> yeah. sir, given where we started here. I mean, I know we talked about what we're, we're, we're hoping, where we're hoping things go, yeah. but do you have any pipe dreams? For this season, because I already talked about mine. I want my ultimate team up, which I know is never going to happen. It's not speculation. It's just I want that. Do you have any pipe dreams for this season after watching this first episode? Yeah, I'm really hoping that Boba was a fake out. That I, I think that Boba will be back. I, I I'm not saying that he won't be, but I'm really hoping that that the reason that they put him in this episode, like why they put this up front, is because we are going to see Tamara Morrison as Captain Rex. Oh, that would be so awesome. And along with that comes Ahsoka. I'm less interested in Ahsoka as I am in Rex. But I, I do think that. that they come as a package deal in this in mm. this instance. Um, but I do really want to see that. I really want to see that on screen. I want to see the beard. I want to see uh, the whole deal. The whole deal. Uh, and I hope he's still... Because we've never actually seen Tamara Morrison in, in clone armor. Because it's all CG, right? Mm-hmm. I would love to see him looking almost exactly like he does in Star Wars Rebels. Um, I would just love to see that realized. Uh, I think it could be really, really cool. Um, so that that is my pipe dream. Uh, the the other one that I'll that I'll throw out there that I don't think that we'll get until until the end of the series. I think one of the last things that we'll get to see might be Luke. Hmm. Um, I don't think that we're going to get that yet. I think that that would come way too early, but, but also that might be the way to do it. Cause we're not expecting it. Right. But I think that that'll be part of the whole, uh, either that or Ezra. I, it'll, I, oh no. Wait, does that mean that baby Yoda is one of the slaughtered Jedi at Luke's Jedi? I hate that idea. I don't why, want it now. That's why I I'm say sorry. maybe Ezra, right? Because I can't, it, I can't because, back you up on the Luke. Yeah, I, I, I would love to see it. I would love to see Luke uh, in this time period just to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I think that even if we do see him, that it'll be like a fleeting thing. Uh, it'll be like part of one episode, and and uh, and that he won't take the child. Okay. Like I think I think that that's one thing that like that he, like that we could get a moment of like some really cool like de-aged Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker Hmm. stuff, or better yet, Sebastian Stan playing Luke Skywalker with the full beard and everything. And him being like, like, like basically at the point of like, I'm not like, like there's a, like this, this child has a path. I, I, but it's not with me. Like I, Hmm. like I, I, like I, I sense that this child, that the child has a future and that he will be important to the future of the Jedi, but it won't be a lo- at my side. Right. Uh, and, and for him to like have a mo- parting moment of like, Oh, and by the way, 
he says his name is blank, <laughs> right? Like for, oh, for that would for be Luke neat. To, like, I think we could also get that with Ahsoka, like that, that mm-hmm. could be very much like, sure. a, like I, 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 I <laughs> he says you call him the child. <laughs> <laughs> his name is blank right like, everyone else calls thing. him baby yoda that's yeah. weird yeah <laughs> uh, he says his name is yoda uh yeah no um i don't know so yeah we'll see we'll see but but wh- wh- when when do we place the birth of of baby yoda he, he's 50 years old in this it's so we're what six years after, after jedi after jedi i so... think he's meant to be around the same age as luke and ezra like luke yeah ezra, i guess right? so yeah <laughs> which it would be really interesting to discover that um that he was also born on empire day because ezra is born on empire day luke and leia are are potentially born on empire day right and for the it to be like like on the same day that the dark side took over that the galaxy balanced itself with like here are all of these potential great Jedi, right? Like, like it just like, there was like an explosion of, of force potential. Um, that... Wait, I don't, I don't think the math adds up. No, because let, let's, so if he's 50, yeah. Five, six years after return of the Jedi, let's reduce 10 years off him. That means he would be 40 during a new hope. Luke is not 40 during a new hope. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're so right. So then you're right. 20 years was the dark He's times. He's older. He's older. So, oh, uh, okay. And then 20 years before the clo- So he's like a little before Phantom Menace, like two, three, four years before Phantom Menace starts, actually. If yeah. I'm doing this right. 41 years before the Battle of Yavin is what it says on Wikipedia. Okay. Forty years before Battle of Yavin would be so. There's twenty. There's nineteen years between that and and Revenge of the Sith. There's, I ne- I can never get it straight. It, they've said three years for the Clone Wars. Yes, but, Clone Wars is three years, okay. and then another ten. And then another ten to Phantom one and Menace. two. So he's so he's born. Who? I swear that he's supposed to be like the same age as somebody. But anyways, it, it, in any case, I I, I don't know. You, I, I mean, he's, maybe he's, it's close to Anakin. Actually, I was gonna say he's close. To, he's he might be close to Anakin. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That might be what it is. Is that he's like the same age as Anakin? I. That's pretty I, funny. Which you know, like that just means that Anakin was looking real rough in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Oh boy, <laughs> in his forties. I I hope I don't look that bad in my forties. Uh, but I also haven't fallen into a volcano. Yes, yeah, stay away from Mustafar. You'll be yeah. fine. Uh, awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to to bring this to a close. Uh, thank you so much, Joe, for for hanging with me. Thanks for it. This has been this is I said is a doozy of an episode. This is a long one, uh, and we had some technical issues. And I I really appreciate your patience on that. I uh, I and I I'm glad that we're back. Yeah. talking about mandalorian yeah it's uh, awesome good times good times uh, and we got lots more coming uh next week unless he cancels on me and i'm gonna put this in here because he's done it before and Mm-mm. and i'm and this is me pre-calling him out Uh-oh. next week next week we got carl leclerc from Ooh. so you know it's gonna be a good one 
I it will. Yeah, I. So we'll be back next week to talk about chapter ten of the Mandalorian. Uh, until then, thank you guys for listening, and uh, thank you, Joe. Joe, you want to you want to promote anything? You got anything you want to you, you need to plug before we go? I don't think I'm allowed to. <laughs> I'm pretty sure no, like okay. everything I'm working on, I'm on un- under NDA. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Joe Hogan Art on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all that, all that garbage. Cool. <laughs> all that stuff. I, I, you guys will get all the 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 show stuff. You know, you can follow me. Uh, at Arkwolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F. But my art account is different. It's Archangel Wolf, A-R-K-A-N-G-E-L-W-U-L-F. And that's where all my illustrations are. So those illustrations we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. And go check those out. They are awesome. Thank you. They are awesome. Uh, Awesome. Uh, Well, again, Joe, thank you for joining me on this one. My pleasure, sir. for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Star Wars FMI. If you like what you hear, you can support us in two ways. First, by heading to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch, or by heading to patreon.com thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support. Your pledge gets you early access, exclusive podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. Faster More Intense is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com for more great podcasts.